Hello, and welcome to Mr. Information, a trivia podcast for gents and ladies who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teens at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm I'm Steve. <laughs> I'm Josh. Um, yep. Yeah. Hey, you know, there's some kinks in it. This is only our second remote recording. We're still getting used to it. Um, yeah, I was saying, Stephen, we, we are both members of the FIFAM now. The FIFAM, as the it's Fifam. called. The P-F-I-P-F-A-M. That's right, the Pfizer family. So we're getting... We'll be back in studio next year, but, you know, it turns out it is actually just really uh, convenient to do this from your house. You yeah. Know? I don't know when my baby's going to fall asleep. I don't want to leave you hanging and then make you have to drive over here. Yeah, and I don't want to do that to you either. So, yeah. you know, I'm just in my home office. You're in your home office. We're killing it. We're killing it. See you in a little, a little window on my screen. While I watch those levels like I do, like an engineer. That's really the biggest thing I miss, Steve, watching the levels. Well, I'm watching my levels locally. I'm going to the well, a little bit. I can't so. do it when, when Julia's sitting at my computer. I'm sitting like back on the futon, taking notes, looking at my watch as a stopwatch. It's really not the same engineer's life I signed up for. You know, I guess. Well, say. we'll hopefully be back soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, speaking of uh, not knowing when my baby's going to sleep, um, yeah, we've had a baby since last episode. That's yeah. pretty exciting. It's great. Uh, and I think, in a way, it kind of both has this feeling kind of nostalgic because it's like there's so much, you, you realize there's so much stuff that's like, wow. She wasn't even born yet when this happened. This is my new, this is my new big milestone in life. Um, yeah, and I hear you've got something that's really going to take us back. Yeah, so I, I came at it from sort of a different angle. So uh, you know, we've we've both been stuck at home for a year now. Uh, the toilet paper is back in stock. The Tiger King is a fond, if distant, memory. Yeah, and, we still got uh, minimum like four Hollywood productions to look yeah. forward to about the Tiger King, which we will all. <laughs> still be really excited about i think we'll be excited again yeah Yeah. uh and you know the world has produced just a cornucopia of vaccines uh to hopefully get us off this wild ride so uh in the time though that we've been home uh we've done a lot of you know cleaning picking up uh maybe picking up projects that we put up on the shelf and Mm -hmm. uh one of the things that i was looking at was trying to sort of recover some of my very old hard drives from old computers and make sure that, you know, photographs from high school and things like that were sort of not going to disappear forever. And uh, part of that also was digitizing a number of old family VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that sort of got me thinking about old media formats. And uh, that sort of inspired me for this episode. Nice. So today, I'm going to tell you uh, a very quick history of a couple bygone audio media formats. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Here we go. All right, so you know MP3s? Yeah. Oh, know them? Oh, do I know them? Oh, boy. Everyone razor scooting around, listening to their Zune and their Arcos jukebox? Mm Mm-hmm. Well. Well, it didn't used to be that way. 120 years ago. Rio guy, but yeah. (laughs) 120 years ago, you needed wire. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Uh, back in 1898, a boy named uh, Vladimir Poulsen, who's Danish, uh, invented this method of taking a very thin steel wire and recording sound onto it. Hmm. 
So you can think of it kind of in the same way of, as like magnetic tape, which we'll, which we'll talk about shortly. But uh, basically, this the steel wire you could magnetize it very slightly. Okay. And it was enough to be able to like record something and then listen to it back later. And this is a thing that you know was revolutionary for the time. It, it let you record things, it let you play it back. Um, it was not the same as the like wax cylinder recordings and the the vinyl um, record things like that. That you could you know some of those you could uh, record and then sort of shave off the wax and then re-record on the same cylinder. But this was sort of infinitely re-recordable. Hmm. And it was yeah. tiny. I can picture the wire, but how do you play it? So think about, yeah, it's like a wire, sort of like the thinness of a human hair, like real thin wire. And you play it, I mean, it's in sort of a, a reel, um, sort of like a cassette tape. And it you put it in a machine and it feeds the wire through and you can uh, you can play back whatever you've recorded. Wow. So the issue with this, though, is that it had to go fairly high speed um, to be usable. Uh, about one mile per hour was the, the feed rate through the machine, which then means that to have an hour's long recording, you need about a mile of wire, mm-hmm. which was still doable. You could still fit that into a fairly small, you know, handheld canister. Um, and it was used actually quite a long time. Uh, it was used up into the 70s um, and sort of hit its peak in the mid, mid-century mid region, um, using for like uh, dictation and, uh, and home recordings of audio for sending to friends and family, things like that. Um, but yeah, I hadn't really heard about this. I didn't really know about it. It was well before my time, but I thought it was you know a really interesting system. Um, it also was very small and was able to be used for things like spies. So you could hide like a little tiny recorder in a little tiny you know pocket watch or something like that and be able to record. Yeah, okay. Um, or strangle someone with it. You could also do that, but you, then you... If you were a spy, you great. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah pull the wire out of your watch. I don't know. Exactly. I think that's happened in a movie. Yeah. I'm sure that's happened in real life also. <laughs> um, it also was really good for temperature stability, which is why it would be used in like black boxes for planes and stuff. Cause it could survive hotter temperatures than uh, magnetic tape could. Mm. So, so that's the whole thing about wire recordings. Uh, I'm going to move on to but another. Still don't, don't want to get it near a magnet. Just like no, it's not equally as uh, what's the opposite of detrimental. Impervious. Yes. Uh, all right, so you know cassette tapes. Hmm. Uh, everyone rollerblading around with their Walkmans. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, it didn't used to be that way. Yeah. Uh, Sixty years ago, you needed a different, older thing. Okay. So even uh, what about an eight track? Is that like? Is that it? That's that's where we're going. That's where oh, we're going. That's where we're going. Okay. Nailed it. I didn't know if that we're was not there yet. that old, but yeah. It's it's we're gonna go older first. Oh wow. Before we get up to eight track. Eight track okay. is where we're gonna get to. So uh after the wires, we figured out how to put magnetic particles onto plastic film mm-hmm. and uh, use that to record. And that was uh developed in like nineteen twenty eight by Fritz Flumer, uh which was a German fellow. Uh, and this led to, you know, reel-to-reel recording, which you may have seen in, like, old movies. Mm-hmm. You may have even encountered it in, in real life somehow. But uh, that was game-changing, right? Because you could record things, and you could have these massive uh, reels that had all this, this high-fidelity recording on it. Um, but it wasn't super easy to use. You'd have, uh, you know, you had to thread the tape through the machine every time, and you'd have to rewind everything. Um, and so there was a solution to that. 
um, to make it a little bit easier. And that was the infinite uh, real recording. So it's a, a perfect Ouroboros in a plastic shell uh, that, that had a loop of tape that never began and never ended. Wow. So um, you can think of it sort of like, uh, if you think of a spool of tape or a spool of wire or something like that, mm-hmm. and you rewind from the outside of the reel and you pull the wire out from sort of the, the center where it's closest to the spindle, mm-hmm. and that sort of goes in a loop forever. And it just keeps winding up itself over and over and over again. Sounds very delicate. It's delicate, but it's it worked. And okay. it, it worked well enough. Um, and the first sort of instance of this was a, uh, uh, a thing called a Fidela pack, which uh, was also known as a NAB cart or cartridge um, for National Association of Broadcasters for NAB. Um, and it was used a lot in radio uh, broadcasting up until like the 90s. Um, it was these little cartridges that would hold uh, commercials or stingers or jingles, things like that. And mm-hmm. you may have heard radio professionals talk about like, oh, get the cart or you know things like that back in back in our days of listening to weird late night radio. Well, yeah, this is this is something I was thinking if we should come clean about, and maybe we should. We we both used to listen to Loveline in high school. Yeah, like and we a lot. hate we hate to see what's hap- what's become of Adam Carolla. I swear, I think he used to be funny. He did, right? I mean, we were much younger. Mm, okay. But, I All mean, right. I feel, I feel yeah. similarly you know, about Dr. You know, he's talking about splicing tape, and this was about, I was about to ask you if this is where this was going. Uh, you know, learning, learning to cut, learning to edit and cut tape together and tape it back together. Yeah, Make yourself useful around the radio station. Exactly what you would do. Wow. So, that, that, uh, system, the Fidela pack, um, it had three tracks in it. Mm-hmm. And those three tracks, one would be for the left, one would be for the right, and one would be sort of a sync track. So you'd have one, one program or one song or one, you know, item, uh, in stereo is what it would hold. Okay. Uh, then, so that was, uh, invented by George Ish in, uh, 1954. He teamed up with Earl Madman Muntz, who you may have heard of before. Um, he was like a personality in mid-century, hmm. um, selling like cars and electronics. Um, he was sort of an inventor, businessman, uh, entrepreneur, I guess, but had okay. these wacky television commercials. No. Um, he, Sounds like a good name to know. Right? He uh, came up with the Stereo Pack, which was a four-track system that used two tracks of sound and a switch that would switch sort of the, the read head up or down physically on the, the track. So you'd read like the bottom two, the bottom half of the, the tape would be one item, one track, and then the upper part would be the other track. And so you'd switch between the two. Mm-hmm. So you'd have two different items on the same cart and both be in stereo. But that, that's not the end either. Um, it advanced even more. So it's the four track. That was also what that was called is the four track. Um, and that was in uh, in 1962. In 1964, Bill Lear of Learjet uh, developed in uh, in collaboration with RCA, Motorola, mm-hmm. Ford, and General Motors the eight track. Yes. And the eight track is again similar. It had eight tracks instead of four, so you could have four stereo items in it. 
Mm. And again, you could switch between, you know, which one you're looking at. And again, it was an infinite loop of tape. It was just, there was no rewinding it. There was no, you know, it was just always, always going. Wow. And, uh, that was, you know, big in, in cars because it was, you know, made in collaboration with General Motors and Ford, mm-hmm. um, big in the home, uh, big in the sixties and seventies Sure. and sort of fell off after that. Um, one thing though, too, is big in karaoke. Yeah. So the first karaoke machine was actually an eight track player. Okay. And that was invented in 1971. Nice. Um, but here is the end. So yes. in the end, uh, Phillips, uh, developed a compact cassette, which is what we know as, you know, the tape mm-hmm. cassette, cassette tape. Um, they've actually developed that in 1963. So a year earlier than the eight track, um, and it only had the four tracks in it. It had stereo going one direction and then stereo going the other direction. You had to flip the tape to mm-hmm. play the other side yeah. instead of moving the reed head up and down. Right. And uh, it was much smaller, though. And so that was its big advantage, that it was yeah. you know, like much, much smaller than the 8-track. Um, had better sound, and so that, that really made all the difference. And then, uh, yeah, some, some players could flip it automatically for you. That's true. Yeah, eventually that was developed. Yeah. I remember we used to... Uh, record love line mm-hmm. um and also you would make uh mixtapes whenever we went to warp tour sure that we would listen to in my 93 corolla yeah uh-huh and you know mixed i mean yeah dubbed, I, I dubbed a lot of tapes in my day because at first i didn't have the walk i had the cd player boom box at home but i didn't have a walkman so you had to go buy a tape if you bought you a cd make and you wanted to listen to it on a road trip and your walkman you had to you had to do some dubbing you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's great. It it had its charms. I don't know. I never there's you know, vinyls coming back these days. Sure. Or it it came back. Uh but sometimes you see an artist put something out on cassette tape. And it's just I don't get it, man. They didn't they didn't sound that good, did they? I mean, they sounded nostalgic, I suppose. I guess. But I don't know. Yeah. You had to you had to copy them from you know, a master recording and uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's an analog recording mechanism. Mm -hmm. There was also digital uh, tapes um, for a while there, but they never really caught on quite as bad as, as big as the uh, for audio or for audio. Yeah. Okay. For both. both. Yeah. There's still the data ones. I mean, those are, yeah. Data tapes are still the preeminent form of long-term cold data storage for sure. Because I was talking um, about this to Julia the other day about like like I have two crates of like old CDs and I went and used a online collection tracking site to s- remind myself what I even own because oh, uh, nice. you know sometimes things disappear off of Spotify mm-hmm. and you go like uh oh like it it can just go away I'd better make sure I can still yeah. listen to it somehow you gotta hoard that data yeah you really do. Um, Oh, you know what? I was I was going through all these, and Julia said, and I, and I went to the the record archive, and I was like, boy, there's there's still so many people who want to go buy vinyl and stuff. But I'm like, I like the digital thing. I can rip it. I can put it on the computer. I can put it on any amount of devices. But now I like own the thing in a digital format that you know I would have to physically lose. She said, oh, they're they're probably going to stop working. And the yeah. vinyl is just going. to... We still have vinyl from the 20s that play that plays. Or whatever, yeah. but we're. She's got a point. We're probably not going to have CDs that still work in a hundred years. Isn't that crazy? 
the CDs that we burn specifically are definitely, definitely not the ones around. we burned. Yeah. But even the ones that were mastered a little shoddily. Yeah. There are some other formats of CD. I think I forget exactly what, like MDisc or something like that, that's supposed to mm-hmm. be much more archival. But even that, I mean, the most archival thing you can possibly do is, you know, chisel it into stone. Yeah. Which um, there were some groups at actually RIT where I work that were doing some work in uh, trying to print text using um, on like metal plates on, on silicon wafers and things like that to try mm-hmm. to do very, very long term, but analog storage you could read with like a, micro, uh, a magnifying glass. Mm-hmm. So that was some cool stuff. Cool. All right. Uh, let me move on. So, you know, the mind link, everyone molecular transporting around with the high vision directly stimulating their neurons. Ah, yes. It didn't used to be that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 45 years ago, you needed a Betamax cassette. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I'm not really going to get into this much because it's maybe a bit more in people's recent memory. Um, but for trivia purposes, uh, it is worth noting a couple of the players. Sure. Uh, Betamax was a home video recording format developed by Sony in 1975. It had uh, some popularity early on, but lost out to the VHS format, which was developed by the Victor Company of Japan, which is JVC. Um, and VHS stands for Video Home System. Uh, that was developed in 1976. All of this, of course, died out by the late 90s, um, and it's it's not really around anymore. Um, but Philips actually did have a video format called VCR, which hmm. was different, huh. um, which was video cassette recording. That was the name of the format. Um, that was in 1972, which was actually a little bit earlier than these other ones. Um, it actually used a square cassette, with a single reel in it and never came to North America. So um, Phillips in the game, but uh, ultimately started making VHS players um, along with JVC and, uh, and Sony lost that war. So, so yeah, that was just some stuff that I sort of got interested in uh, converting these old VHS tapes for, uh, yeah. for my family. So, yeah. All right. I got, I still got to look and see if I have anything I can give you to, to run through that. Really. Yeah, I had to go on eBay and find an old player that was mm-hmm. the best of the best for its time. Yeah. And it was broken, so it was cheap, and then I fixed it, and then uh, it was great. <laughs> That's good. Need, need some new caps or what? Uh, no, there was a uh, a gear that was seized that I had to oh, okay. I had to fix. But then it worked fine. Nice. Um, now, I do have a special segment. Okay, yes. Everyone's favorite segment in the not-too-distant past perfect. So as you will remember, uh, this is a segment where I tell you about video game Easter eggs that make a reference to beloved American television comedy series, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Ah, yes. All right. uh, This year's installment is from a game by Rochester, New York's own Ambrosia Software, a unfortunately shuttered company that produced a wide variety of shareware-based games and utilities for Macintosh computers. Uh, The game is Ambrosia Software's 1996 classic Escape Velocity. Mm -hmm. I had a feeling. Where (laughs) you play as a rookie pilot in their first shuttlecraft, ready to make your name in the universe. Uh, Gameplay mostly revolves around 2D top-down space navigation between planets and planet systems, trading goods, transporting passengers, and avoiding pirates. Eventually, you will earn enough money to outfit your ship or upgrade it to a bigger one and start fighting back against your aggressors. And join in longer story missions... um, with Trade Federation or uh, Rebel Fight against the Confederacy, other things like that. Uh, 
the game ex- itself defaults to referencing Mystery Science Theater uh, with the new pilot name generator uh, giving variations like Dash Rip Rock, Rick Hard Slab, and Stud Beef Pile. Big, McLarge, huge. Exactly. Yep, okay. which were references to the Mr. Science Theater episode Space Mutiny and the, the various names given to the protagonist David Ryder, um, such as Big McLarge Huge, which is, I think, Lauren's favorite. <laughs> uh, the specific Easter egg, though, that I want to talk about can be found uh, after giving me the title screen of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you hold down Option, again, you're on a Mac, so hold on Option, click the About EV button, and then instead of the normal about text, you'll get lyrics to a new, ver- new version of the Ministry Science Theater theme song written by the developer Matt Birch, describing briefly the inception, development, and playtesting of the game, uh, which he wrote as he tried to keep his grades up in college. Nice. Uh, a little bonus, if you hold down Command, Shift, Option, Control, F, altogether, mm-hmm. as the text scroll ends you'll hear a sound clip from the Mystery Science Theater episode Fugitive Alien uh, singing, He tried to kill me with a forklift. Um, and when you start the game in your ship, you will have an incredibly powerful weapon called a forklift, which will just obliterate anything that it comes in contact with, including you if you explode something too close to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, And it makes the sound of a forklift starting as it, uh, as it fires off. So, sure. We all um, know how that sounds. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this game was released for Mac back before Mac OS X, so you will need an emulator, and may I suggest Mac OS 9.0.4, or my favorite, 8.6. Uh, and Ambrosia is no longer around, unfortunately, so you'll need to find the game somewhere else, like uh, an old Mac Abandonware website. Um, so it's a bit work to get it working, um, but it's a lot of fun, and there's a great plug-in system for it um, where users and, and fans have made additions to the game. I recommend Clavius and Beyond. It's one of my favorites. So go check out Escape Velocity. Yeah, I was listening to like a local like Rochester software developers podcast, and one of the guys referenced like that he used to work at Ambrosia. So I guess he's nice. been around a while. Yeah, in, in the Rochester software scene to have those creds. Ah, yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I never got into that. I didn't have a Mac, so you know. Too bad, I guess. But <laughs> <sighs> anyway, well, thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Um, before I get into my topic, I forgot I had to do a special segment earlier, uh, which is that uh, I have to take the L. Taking the L. Taking an L. Uh, in our last episode of Mister Information, I made the bold claim that I would watch Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch on demand in my living room at some point in the year 2020. And did you? I didn't. It didn't happen. Didn't happen. It's been, as far as I can tell, does not have a release date right now. So I guess we just gotta, gotta hope those theaters come back. One day. One day. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It it occurred to me that like Disney like has the rights to it now after the Fox acquisition. I think I talked Mm. about how it's just searchlight pictures. It's not Fox searchlight anymore. And it's like, well, what streaming service do they have to dump that on? Right. Like, they're not putting it on Disney+. Plus. No. It's not necessarily the family-friendly fare they're looking for over there. So, I don't know. Maybe they have Hulu. Or they just, they're just sitting on it. I guess it's fine. We can just wait. I mean, all those services are basically the same company anyway, ultimately, right? Hmm. Good question. Think about that. 
which is to say Amazon. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. probably. It's probably all Bezos. It's probably all on S3. You know how it is. Anyway, um, yeah, so while you went on a trip uh, back into some defunct formats, I, um, yeah, as I mentioned, you know, we, we have we have our little baby Ellie. Um, I've already shown her a number of episodes of The Simpsons that are much, much older than she is. Uh, is raising, it generally positive response? Or? Raising her right. I mean, maybe when she's asleep or something, mm-hmm. you know, but that it's it's working its way in, I think, to her brain. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking about like, boy, this is this is from so much longer, you know, so much older than she is. And I got to really think like, I don't think I know about any TV that's that much older than I am. Mm. Uh, so I did some research on TV shows from before we were born. Awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty strict with this and there are so many shows like I can't cover them all. I ended up focusing more on like your, your scripted primetime fair. Not getting sure. into all the, the variety shows and stuff. Um, but I was pretty strict about this. If a, if a show aired an episode, I mean, reunions aside, if a show aired an episode while either of us was born, it's not on the list. No. So, you know, here's, let me, let's tell you some questions I'm not going to answer. Who shot JR? No idea. Yeah, me neither, because Dallas's uh, final episode aired in 1991. I was alive. Doesn't count. <laughs> uh, which one's Cagney and which one's Lacey? Couldn't tell you. Beats me. Get it wrong every time. Uh, are we all in uh, Tommy Westfall's imagination from St. Elsewhere? Could be. I mean, show ended in 1988, so we'll never <laughs> know. And uh, who's the boss? I, that, Just I'm sure it out I don't there. know. Yeah. I don't know if anyone knows, but especially not us. So, I think Abed knew who the boss was. Yeah, he might have said it was Angela, but that doesn't mean anything to me. So, <laughs> Nor do I. <laughs> No. So anyway, but here's a here's a classic TV trivia question that I feel like gets gets thrown around a lot. Do you know what is the longest running scripted primetime TV show? Hmm. I don't think I do. Not even a guess. Ooh. Uh the longest running scripted I mean the only ones I can think of are still on okay well this is something julia and i have both mixed up at trivia where we can never remember if it was gunsmoke or bonanza Ooh, okay right these these old western shows that ran for a really long time and the I answer like general hospital yeah well i said prime time yeah exactly yeah but actually it the answer was gunsmoke until 2018 okay. uh it's now the simpsons has surpassed it hmm. so that record I mean, that stood since 1975. That's that's a pretty long-standing record. That's incredible. Yeah. If you're playing a uh, an older game of Trivial Pursuit, that'll probably still work. You know, they didn't expect anyone would beat it. Um, But yeah, Simpsons is now at 701 episodes. It's still going apparently. Um, And I think uh, Law and Order and Law and Order SVU are also both in the mix. Now, some. The, the Wikipedia page for longest running TV primetime show, um, the default sort was number of seasons, not number of episodes, which seems, okay. I don't know. There's no there's no guidelines on what a season is. Yeah, because what if it's a British show? Yeah. It has like three episodes per season. Right. 
they were saying like, oh, well, Law and Order and Gunsmoke both had 20 seasons, so they're equally as long, but Gunsmoke had hundreds more episodes. So I don't, yeah, I don't know count. why. This isn't even close to me. I don't know. Um, but that uh, that list was a really good jumping off point, especially into like the really old stuff. Um, I think next next on the list, uh, Lassie ran for 591 episodes. I'm not really going to get into Lassie. I feel like we all kind of know. I remember watching Lassie as a kid. It's a dog. On like Nick at Night. Yeah. Oh, ton of Nick and Night Fair on this on this list. I bet. I, I bet. I didn't. I don't think I watched a ton of it. But, Is this um, still around? Probably I mean, not. it turned into TV Land, and it's TV Land still around. Which is now probably showing like Saved by the Bell. Because mm. yeah, now we're question. old. Yep. Oh, definitely. And I'm just going to keep feeling that feeling, I think, as <laughs> my daughter grows up. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I tried to like look at, like, oh, what are some characters on Lassie? But, man, like just every few seasons, they would just completely switch it up. Um, this was something I, I think I learned about a lot of this uh, older TV, recasting characters, just having characters completely, you know, fall out of the picture for new ones. Totally, totally normal if you're running a TV show for tens of years, you know? Yeah. Just wasn't a big deal. Um, next on the list, I had never heard of this, uh, but Julia tells me they made a joke about it on 30 Rock, and that was the Kraft Television Theater ran for 525 episodes. Never heard uh, of it. Live from Studio 8H which is now where they make SNL. But hmm. yeah, apparently back in the day, uh, they were doing live like TV theater productions out of there. Okay. That's crazy to think about from like 1947 to 1958. If I didn't, if I didn't say that already. Uh, yeah, that stage was still in use. Um, wow. The next one up, uh, The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, ran from 1952 to 1966 for 435 episodes. Um, you know, it's notable about this one, Ozzy and Harriet, and then their kids, uh, that was a real family. Huh? Like they were just the Nelson family and they made a TV. Well, first they made a radio show, I think for 10 years and then they, uh, became a TV family. Yeah. Wow. They, they sure did. And Julia, it's like the Kardashians. I forgot to go look this up, but Julia tells me one of the kids, uh, turned into a famous, uh, singer or something. I think it was name was Ricky Nelson. And I believe the trivia fact she dropped about him was that he was the first person to hit number one on the billboard charts when they started doing billboard charts. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That, if true, that's a good trivia. Did nugget. not verify this. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe okay. can verify so, it right now. Question Let's mark, question see. mark, question mark. Um, but I think uh as we as we talked about um The Simpsons beating out Gunsmoke, I believe this is about to be get uh be beaten out by Always Sunny. Always Sunny in in uh Philadelphia for a uh, longest running sitcom specifically or longest running live action sitcom, I guess because Simpsons is a sitcom. Anyway, these records, man, it's crazy to think about how, uh, how long they stood. And then, and then always sunny comes along. It just beats it. Like really? Yeah. Of all shows. Um, yes. Poor little fool in 1958. The first number one song by Ricky Nelson. How about that? There you cool. go. Um, 
while we're talking about firsts, I've got a few others that I can't possibly do justice, but I just am going to mention them for the, for being the first at something. Um, the Danny Thomas Show, 343 episodes from 1953 to 1964. Uh, first character killed off on a TV show. In a series. Okay. Yeah. Like, not, you know, not anything. They just said that was why. You know, certainly characters had disappeared before, but this was the first time it was actually canonically. Written into like, the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, the show I can't possibly do justice to. I love Lucy. I'm sure this is this is ripe for a misinformation episode or something. Yeah, for um, sure. I'll just say, you know, this was the first um, TV uh, pregnancy storyline. I think it's probably the most ground. I mean, so many groundbreaking things about it, but yeah, yeah. pretty pretty crazy to think back that that was not a normal thing. Uh, they never referred to her as pregnant. Just expect. Yeah, they used every possible yeah. like, euphemism for it right so that's interesting um you know another case of the tv censors you know just uh, we're just not ready for this uh yeah we can do they it, were but. they were married in real life yeah they were pregnant in real life yep and in the show they still had separate beds across the room for each other yeah that's nuts man um yeah and that was 1951 to 1957 I don't know if this show would, would normally be no- notable to make enough to make the list, but Leave It to Beaver from 1957 to 1963, 234 episodes. First, toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this makes Good. a lot of lists. Good. Uh, they, they wanted to hide a baby alligator in the tank, and they would only let them show the tank. No bowl. No bowl. No bowl. Uh, um, Terrifying. Um, as I was, as I was going through this list, there were some things that weren't on it. And I was like, wait, I thought that was like a really popular show. Um, and I looked up, uh, how long do you think the honeymooners was on TV? Like that's a bang zoom that was, straight to the moon. Yeah. That was, that was sixties. It was nine. It was fifties. We're still in the fifties. Fifties. Okay. I mean, yeah, like at least a dozen years. No, one year. Really? 39 episodes, one season. It's just they call a, it the classic powerful... 39. Yeah, I mean, technically, like, it started out as a sketch and I think went back to life as a sketch on the Jackie Gleason show. They didn't, okay. uh, I don't know. I think it was something about not having enough creative freedom with the network and the sitcom format, etc. Sure. Um, but yeah, there's, there's 39 canonical classic episodes, but then there are like DVDs that are like hundreds of lost episodes pulled sure, from sure, the sure. sketches and stuff. Um, and then we mentioned it before Bonanza ran from Bonanza. 1959 to 1953, 431 episodes. Uh, that's the weekly adventures of the Cartwright family. You got the patriarch Ben and his three sons, all from different mothers, Adam Eric or Hoss and Joseph or Little Joe out on the Ponderosa Ranch. And uh, it's kind of funny. We go from this to the next year. Maybe someone got the idea from watching it. Seeing his three sons, they made a show called My Three Sons. <laughs> um, and this it's one rounded good. out the top 10 on the, the list of longest running, 380 episodes from 1960 to 1972. Um, yeah, again, just it's very different reading a reading about a show from way back when versus like a show now, like you expect to see like, here's the list of characters. Here's the actors who played them. 
And right. so many of these I would click on it, it was like, okay, well, it was this guy for onesies, and then he got completely recast by this other guy who's... So it was... Yeah, it was a guy raising his three sons, a, a widower who was at first aided by his father-in-law, but then uh, apparently, and this was produced by Desi Lu Studios, who, you know, the the production company of Lucy Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, um, found that the father-in-law character would be too expensive to insure. Okay. Which I guess was a thing that they instead sure. said like, okay, well, we have to write this character out of, show, out of the show, and now there's a crazy old great uncle is coveted played Great. by a younger old man or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's that's really all I got on that. Uh, but yeah, as we go into the 60s, uh, I really just tried to keep... I'm trying to keep this brief. There are so many shows. That's there's what I learned. So many. And, and so many of them are just gone, right? I mean, like, there's no recordings left of a lot of these shows because they just were broadcast and not yeah, around anymore. that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't have anything on this list that's like a great lost show but i've certainly you, you hear that happening and it happens with with modern stuff more than you'd think if a show sure. just like does not land and gets canceled it's probably not staying around on streaming for that's true yeah for long um my favorite podcast uh other than misinformation uh hollywood handbook uh the two writers met on a fox animated show called alan gregory that was from sometime in the tens and it it was yeah, critics did not like it at all. Uh, it got canceled after a few episodes, but it is it is nowhere on the internet. Doesn't exist. Yeah, so Sean, Sean and Hayes from Hollywood Handbook were in the writer's room. Rachel Bloom from uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was in the writer's room. And I think some other good names, but it just uh, did not click. The show right. about uh, Jonah Hill as a... Uh, it was like a Stewie Griffin situation. I don't know. He was like a little kid, but he was he was wise beyond... I don't know wasn't good though no not at all <laughs> um anyway uh yeah so what else did i find in the 60s that uh that that seemed worth mentioning okay um andy griffith show yeah i'm i may use that theme song for my intro music pretty okay. classic the whistle well you probably heard it um we mentioned the danny thomas show before with the first uh death of a character uh somehow like this is technically a spin-off from that okay i don't know it's it said it was originated partly from an episode of the danny thomas show uh starring of course andy griffith as andy taylor then you have don knotts as barney fife and ron howard as opie in the fictional town of mayberry of course i assume it's fictional i'm pretty sure it's fictional right i didn't you know you record a podcast and you say things and you realize you never verified them and then they're going out on the internet is Mayberry real? Oh, that's so many people Google this. Okay, it's based on another city. Okay, so no, it doesn't exist. You can't say it does exist and it has a different name. That doesn't work. No. To me, Mount Airy, North Carolina. Calling them out. Um... <laughs> Another thing from the '60s, I I just really liked going through these and like placing them all at a time because I sure. I have a hard time and I feel like it really helps my my recall as I as I go through go through the Rolodex. Um, in the mid '60s, you had both Bewitched and I Dream of Genie. Stephen, have you ever mixed these up? Because I sure have. I I have not, but only because again, 
I watched those a lot on Nick at Night uh, okay. as a kid. So Did I, you ever notice remember. they looked kind of similar? Uh, one was, were they both in black and white? Mm. Or was just and mean Bewitched like in black that. and white? I meant like set dress. Oh, the sets? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. they all looked similar. They were made by, they're on different networks, but they were made by the same production studio and they would huh. share sets. So it's really like, when I realized that, I was like, oh my God, it's not just that I can't tell the difference between these. It was literally... They're literally the same NBC saw Bewitched on ABC. I think that's what networks they were on. uh, And said, we want a show like this where the guy's got a magical wife and made it. And then they made it at the same production company where they made the other show. Just, yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and then the final thing I want to mention as we round out the 60s was a show called Julia that only ran for a couple seasons. Uh, but that is the first African-American character in a non-stereotypical role. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you know, I didn't spy, specify African-American woman in a non-stereotypical uh, role. I think. Oh, okay. I think the other one was Bill Cosby and I Spy, but I um, didn't feel like talking about Bill Cosby. Yeah, let's not. Yeah, we don't need to. Uh, but let's go to the 70s. I think Julia has told me she was at some point thinking about doing a 70s TV episode. It's always been on her list of possible topics. So, so tread lightly. Yeah, I won't go too too deep into it. Um, but the big ones I wanted to put down, uh, All in the Family ran from 1971 to 1979, uh, created by Norman Lear, who really made like a lot of groundbreaking television. I think you got to know. One of the one of the big TV names to know. Okay. Um, based on a British sitcom called Till Death Us Do Part. I didn't know that. No. Um, but it was it was also uh, had some firsts. This was the first TV show to get like a warning disclaimer for mature audiences. Oh wow! Um, and it was also the, the first uh, to to bring us uh, full circle with your topic. First recorded to videotape. Very cool. Yeah. Um, also had a bunch of spinoffs. Um, that's always that's always good good trivia to know that All in the Family led us to Maud, the Jeffersons, and the less popular maybe uh, Archie Bunker's Place, Checking in, Gloria, and Seven O Four Hauser. Um, wow, yeah. Uh, other Norman Lear uh, first we can mention while we're talking about him real quick was. Um, Maud, technically not the first show to have a um, story. Well, yeah, not the first show to have a storyline about abortion in it, but the first to really like directly deal with it and have it happen to do it, have it um, involve its main character. There mm-hmm. had been like, I think I found like there was a soap opera that is technically the first, but it didn't really use the word directly. It wasn't like okay. the main character on the program, you know. Um, and then, uh, first gay couple on a show was on a Norman Lear production called hot L Baltimore. And mm, it was a, okay. uh, a place called the hotel Baltimore that had the E burned out the, in a sure. sign. And, but this was how they, this is how the name of the TV show is referred to everywhere. It's hot, hot L. lowercase L Baltimore. Nice. Um, so I don't know if that makes it a bad trivia answer, I guess, because it's a silly thing to write down, but yeah. Um, yeah, really, really pushed the envelope, really interesting history there that I definitely can't do justice to. 
in this short amount of time. There's so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of spinoffs, uh, there are also a bunch out of Happy Days, which mm-hmm. 1974 to 1984. Um, yeah, you forget, uh, or maybe not you forget, but when you are sort of looking through this with the lens of like all this happened before I was born, you may not realize that it was a show made in the 70s about the 50s. Right. You might not just think it was a remember. show about the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. What's What's the difference, really? Um. But this is, of course, the origin of the term jumping the shark as the Fonz uh, jumped the shark. And everyone kind of said like, yeah, this this isn't a realistic show anymore. They've kind (laughs) of run out of ideas, gone too far. Um, Yeah, jumping it out in the water on jet skis. And then he uh, just literally hops over one on Arrested Development later. That was very good. It's it's a good moment. Um, Spun off into Laverne and Shirley. Mork and Mindy, and maybe the lesser-known Blansky's Beauties, Out of the Blue, and Joni Loves Chachi. Hmm. I think that one ran for a couple of years, but but some. Of yeah, those I remember the last one, but the one before that barely lasted of. the season. Um, yeah, and then the last one, just to wrap it up here, uh, just under the wire. Perhaps the reason I included this was because it wrapped up in May 1986. So all right, it it holds true. Um. Yep. The Love Boat. Love Boat. Yeah. Um, this was produced by Aaron Spelling. Just got to mention him in because uh, he was the most prolific producer in television with 218 producer executive producer credits. Wow. That's a lot. That's so many. Um, I saw there was a Forbes list from 2009, so maybe out of date, but, but estimated he is the 11th highest uh earning dead celebrity wow with with all the royalties and stuff that's insane yeah i love it uh i think i think the names to know from this i i like how the the opening credits had it like it's your captain your bartender Mm -hmm. and you've got a captain steubing i think is yeah captain merrill steubing Nodding in recognition. I don't know. I I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's one of those names that I feel like I remember hearing in a joke or something as like a kid that went over my head. You know, yeah, could you sure see Animaniacs that, yeah. doing a Captain Steubing joke? Yeah. Oh, yep. the critic. Maybe it was the critic. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, it was nice to finally learn what that was from. <laughs> Hachi right. machi. And that's it. I've talked for too long about TV. Uh, there's so much of it. That was great. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. And it is, I'm realizing now, uh, it is still my best category on Learned League. So people are just going to give me a zero for these things anyway, even if I miss yeah, the ones that are really no old. Hope. So this didn't probably didn't help me at all. But no, thanks for listening. It's for the listener, you know? Yeah. Uh, and now we've got a quiz. We do have a quiz. From both of us. Shall I, shall I begin the quiz? Yeah. What's your, what's your quiz about, Steve? Uh, my quiz is on a topic relevant to our interests. Okay. Uh, all right. That's it. That's all I'm getting. That's all you're getting. Okay. You'll you'll get it right away. <laughs> all right. All right. Number one. Variolation was a early method of inoculation before the discovery and development of vaccines. It might sound like little milk caps, but no bovines about it. What disease was this developed for? Number two, the seasonal flu vaccine 
is produced using chicken eggs. Those eggs have to come from somewhere. True or false? As a matter of national security, the U.S. government maintains a flock of chickens as a strategic reserve. Number three. The varicella zoster virus, aka chickenpox, has a vaccine now. That might be news to those of us who had to suffer through it as a kid. The movie Outbreak, starring Dustin Hoffman, came out in 1995. Did the U.S. start vaccinating for chickenpox before, after, or the same year that movie came out? Number four. While he's better known for keeping your milk safe and fresh, this one is not about cows either. What French scientist developed the first rabies vaccine in 1885? And number five. The word vaccine comes from its inventor in the reference to its first use case. What does vaca mean in Latin? All right, and for my quiz, in order to mention a few more TV shows, I'm going to play you five clips from TV theme songs, and you're going to tell me what show it is. Oh, boy. Here we go. Number six. Number seven. Number eight. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Number nine. Number 10. All right, we'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with your answers. Look, it's one of those early mod episodes with a really long opening credit sequence. with the soldiers and bandages too Susan B. Anthony always out doing stuff marching around and holding up sides and then there's Maud Pocahontas what the had hell? it all going on an Indian guy with lots of Indian pride 
Indira Gandhi ran a whole big country. That isn't easy, even if you're a guy. And then there's more. Babes of Harris was oh, come a really good athlete. Good at track and field and professional golf, too. And then there's more. Amelia Earhart flew a lot of airplanes. Except for that one time when she didn't come back. Cleopatra lived and way then out there's in more. the But still found a way to keep herself looking fine. And then there's more. Ah! Go. That was an ordeal. And we're back. All right. Uh, num- number one, variolation. Do we, we read them again, right? <laughs> I think we read them again. Yeah. You, you can paraphrase a little if you I'll want. I'll paraphrase. All right. All right. Here we go. All right. We're back. And now for your answers. Number one, variolation was an early method of inoculation. Uh, it may sound like milk caps, but no bovines about it. What disease was it developed for? I mean, is it there's some called cowpox? It is not cowpox. Is that a thing? There's, there's no bovines about it. Right. Oh, there's none. I mean, I wrote smallpox. I should have just said that. Yeah, it's, it's smallpox. smallpox. Okay. Go well, with your gut. Well, what's the bovine reference to then? It's it's that there's no bovines about it. Is there something called? Oh man, oh, now I right. feel silly. You're fine. All right, smallpox. Yep. Should have gone with it. Right. Number two. The seasonal flu uh, is produced using chicken eggs. True or false, the U.S. government has a uh, national stockpile of chickens. I'm going to say false. It is true. That is true. Specifically for? We have a strategic for? reserve of chickens to make eggs for vaccines. Wow. Um, the that. flock size and locations are not known because they are national security secrets, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it does exist. So, okay. what a thing. What a thing. Uh, the uh, chickenpox vaccine, did that happen in the U.S. before the same year or after 1995's outbreak starring Dustin Hoffman? This is tricky because that's real close, probably, yeah. I bet, to the real date. Um, but I'm going to say before. It was during. During. Okay. It was 1995 that that first started happening in the U.S. That was a push. It was. I don't know. That's uh, what you say when something's like exactly at the line. It's not the yeah. over or the under. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think because I very much had chicken pox, uh, but my sister was young enough to get the vaccine and oh, not that right? have chicken pox. Yeah. And I think Julia also just never happened to get Julia. Julia is older than my sister. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Julia so, is older than your sister. Yeah. That's fair. That's a fair thing to say. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, number four. Well, he's better known for keeping your milk safe and fresh. This one is not really about cows either. What French scientist developed the first rabies vaccine in 1885? Is this Louis Pasteur? It is. Nice. Nailed it. Yeah, I did not know that, but um, now we both do. Yeah. And number five, the word vaccine comes from its inventor in reference to its use case. What does vaca mean in Latin? Um... Does this mean cow? It does mean cow. Ah, and it nice. was for cowpox. Okay. All right. They used cowpox virus to uh, vaccinate against smallpox. Maybe if I had figured out that answer before, I wouldn't have you got it. guessed it on the first one. Well, but I didn't write it down. I just got it right now. I said, I'll, I'll hear that one again and just make a guess. We're all doing our best here. We're all doing our best here. Ah, I wanted to take the push. 
on the outbreak. She wanted to, <laughs> but I thought, there's no way. There's no way. I don't know. All right. Uh, yeah, let's see. Let me let me play some clips again. And probably when we play these again, I'll shorten them or something. Sure. Number six. I know I've heard this before, but it is not in my brain. Okay. And it's not a show I watched, so I guess I hope I clipped a good recognizable part. Uh, the problem was the very beginning of it was less uh, music and more helicopter noises. Which I thought okay. was too much of a giveaway of a show that opens with helicopters. Yeah. That had uh, perhaps the... I want to find my notes again, but I think it was... Yeah, the uh, most watched uh, show in scripted television for their 1983 finale. 106 million people watched MASH. MASH. But not me. I wasn't yeah. born yet. Yeah. No, you weren't born yet. Yeah, I that probably was deep in my brain, but it wasn't going to come out. So Okay. Well. I I really was not sure. Again, it's a super popular show that I've never watched. So Yeah, exactly. Where do you put it? All right. I'm not nostalgic for the Korean War at this point, so. No. Next one. Number seven. All right, this is Knight Rider. Yeah, it's Knight Rider. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, I never watched it, but very cool theme song. Very cool theme song. Very cool theme song. You got, you got Kit, the talking car. You got the Hoff. What more seems, do you need? Yeah, seems like a slam dunk. Except for Excellent. uh it was on before I was born. Whoops. Never got <laughs> never got to it. <laughs> All right. Number eight. The story you are about to see is true. I I can see the intro to this playing in my head. Mm-hmm. The first thing I wrote down was get smart, which is not right. Right. The second thing I wrote down was the people's court, which is also not right. Sure. Um, it's, it's not law and order. It's, it's a black and white show. I think, um, it's people in the fifties wearing fedoras and it's a cop show. Mm-hmm. And well, there's a, that was actually, if you're going to, if you're going to get me on a technicality, that was from the 1960s version of the show. Yeah. In color. Was it Law and Order? No, it was not Law and Order. That what is, is it Dragnet. Dragnet. Which I feel is just one of those classic, like they use it on The Simpsons. They've done some yeah. Dragnet bits. Uh, there was, of course, Mathnet. Sure. Do you watch Square One? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, that was in my brain somewhere. I, I'm sure I'm, I've seen Dragnet a couple times, but not enough yeah, to. Yeah, I don't know how closely Mathnet, um, I'm sure it is some something of a parody. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, but but yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. I don't, I don't have any notes on it being the first or anything special. I just know that's a good, uh, it's a good cultural one to know. All right, number nine. All right, the first thing I wrote down was Hawaii Five O, which I don't think is right. Is it Miami Vice? It's Hawaii Five O. Damn it. 
<laughs> all right. We both got to remember to just guess what we write down. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll That's give you. Lesson. I'll give you the one if you give me this one. We probably learn every episode. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. No, I'll show you. Let's show you my freaking notes here. All right. Last one. And this one, yeah. This I wanted to go out with something tricky. So. All right. Number ten. Is this Get Smart? No. Sorry. Is it The Prisoner? No. Okay. Um, but it, I guess Get Get Smart is close. It is a show called Peter Gunn. Ooh, I don't know that one. Who was a who was a TV private eye from 1958 to 1961? Um, but yeah, I think definitely a case where the theme song of the show much has more lived on. Yeah, much more famous than the actual show. Like have you heard you've heard that before? Right? Oh, of course. That's a great great theme. Yeah. Um yeah, Henry Mancini. Anyway, yeah. So Excellent. that's our that's Mr. Information Mr. Information. Ooh. Uh, good. Yeah, we haven't talked about episode title. So, you know, something like that. We'll work some fours into it. And uh yeah, look for us next Easter. Yeah. Look for us. It's going to be great. Yeah. Maybe I'll even get to give you a hug. Yeah. Oh, Oh, I bet. I bet. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. Bye. Bye.